So I think that's the one thing is that the advocacy, we could work more with bridging instead of dividing into subgroups. There's a lot of shared interest in getting more people on bikes, whether it's recreational or commuting. It's going to feed off each other and it's going to grow better, I guess. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 124 features Thomas Larson Schmidt. Thomas is a lifelong advocate for mountain biking, and he is currently serving as the board president for IMBA Europe. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dudejustsendit.com. Yes, that's right. www.dojustsendit.com will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. One of my favorite articles of clothing this past winter and now spring has been the Foley Zipper Hoodie from Kettle Mountain Apparel. This zipper hoodie is as functional as they come, yet offers the comfort of your favorite stuffed animal as a child. The people behind Kettle Mountain Apparel are mountain bikers, hikers, trail runners, and travelers. You can purchase the Foley Zipper Hoodie and all of the other fine Kettle Mountain Apparel at www.ketlmtn.com backslash Josh, or hit the link in the show notes and you'll be supporting the Trail Effect podcast in the process. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all of the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. Now on to the Trail Effect with Thomas Larson Schmidt. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Thomas Larson Schmidt. Thomas is the president of IMBA Europe. How's it going today, Thomas? It's going good. It's a bit rainy here, but uh, yeah, we'll make do. We had a good few days with sun and dry trails, so it'll come back. Yeah, so that means you've been out and you've been able to get some get on the dirt for 2023 a few times so far this year. Yeah, yeah, I manage. I I have both analog and and e bike, so uh, I manage <laughs> analog and, and e bike. That's awesome. Let's go into, so you've been a mountain biker for, for quite a few years and you've been involved with advocacy in Denmark and in now greater Europe as your role of the president of the IMBA Europe. Let's talk about some of the things you've seen change over the years. And, you know, some of those, I mean, some of those changes could be negative, but a lot of them are positive. And we just, we, I mean, I think we have a lot more mountain bikers, right? Yes. Well, well, that's one of the changes we've seen. So when I started riding Bought my first mountain bike, 95, 96, I think. Uh, specialized hard rock aluminum with a duty fork with these elastomer uh, rubber things in the fork. Uh, yeah, that was that was an awesome bike. So, but before that, I would just ride in the forest as a kid, you know, just, you know, bend the fork of my commuter bike and my dad would be like, Oh man, that's like 10 bucks to you know, change that every time you bend it. And I just go ride in the forest anyway. So, so it's, yeah, it's always riding bikes, always. Well, Denmark is a biking country. So 
that's it's just how we get around, I guess. Um, but the mountain bikes were, in my opinion, when I saw the first one, I think it was 82, on a, on a holiday to Southern Europe, I just saw a mountain bike parked on a, a square, I think in France. And I was just like, there it is. That's the one. That's the bike I need for the forest. So I didn't get one until like mid-90s, uh, but have been riding since. The big change, I think, is how many people ride. In the 90s, we would just go and it would be kind of like gravel today. You just find forest roads and trails and explore and get lost and find your way again and just ride around the countryside, I guess. That was kind of like gravel today, some gravel or bikepacking or whatever. Just uh, just go out and there were no designated trails, uh, at least not in Denmark, uh, no mountain bike trails. So. It was just what it was. And um, then the more I got into it and you come into the 90s and closing up on, on the shift from, from into the 2000s, a lot more people started riding. And with no designated trails, you're just sharing trails with all the hikers and, you know, people out walking with their kids and have, uh, yeah, uh, dogs and, and, and whatnot. And the, the sort of the, the the mood changed and got a bit more intense, I guess. And um, then we just uh, started thinking about this. How do we work with this? And then the internet was coming along and I, I got a computer and stuff like that. I don't think I got an email until like 97. So I wasn't the first mover on that one. And in the, in the beginning, I didn't have anybody to write emails to. So I guess... <laughs> But uh, with the internet as well, I just started, you know, finding stuff on the internet. And there's this amazing organization in America called International Mountain Bike Association. And they were working with this stuff. So I just read the, the, the webpage and got the book and, and uh, actually joined as a member sometime in, in the 2000s. Yeah, the Trail Solutions book. <laughs> Still good. Some of the pictures could be updated. We're working on that. We can get into that later. But uh, the big difference, I think, was just all these more people coming and the more awareness about, okay, this, this, this is a potential problem. Yeah. So the, the shift in, in, in numbers of riders and the need for sort of uh, separating the different user groups was, was becoming apparent. So the, the big shift is how many people ride and how necessary trails designated trails have become, I guess, over time. Yeah. And so to kind of bring the listener up to speed, because this is something I'm not even 100% how this works. What is the actual difference between, we'll say, IMBA based out of the US and IMBA Europe? Ah, yeah. Well, good thing we should clear that up. Uh, IMBA US, yeah, started in 88, I think I remember, and is uh, a an American organization working towards advocacy and mountain bike trails, uh, mainly in America. And then around 2008, 9, 10, I think there was some conversations between different advocates in Europe that there was a need for an IMBA Europe, sort of like a sister organization. And having looked into IMBA US and, and seen all the work they'd done, all the knowledge they had, it made sense to create an IMBA Europe. And some other people than me, good people, got in touch and, and went and talked to uh, the old uh, 
director, uh, Mike Van Abel, and had some conversations with him. And then in 2012, they established the uh, organization in Europe. And it was then officially uh, started up uh, with a, a general assembly in 13, had the first summit in 14. So the big difference is that in, uh, in America, you have one country, but 50 states. Uh, in Europe, we have a lot of countries. And in those countries, there are states or regions and, and so on. So, so the political climate is a bit different. Uh, we do have federal union, I guess, uh, the European Union, but that's a, a more a, a political thing where you kind of pop the money and, and have some rules that need to be more than just the individual countries. Could be like protection of, of endangered species or so. That needs to work from south to north and, and stuff like that, environmental stuff. And we also have like a free trade area within the EU that we, we work with. And then you have to have shared rules about how much toxins can you put into kids' toys and or how little or none or and so on. So those overall general rules will be agreed upon between the countries that are members of the EU. So that meant that the U.S. also has individual membership and have chapters and, and, and some structures there. And in, in Europe, we wanted to make sure that the Imba Europe entity wouldn't sort of hijack members from national advocacy organizations. But instead, we created the organization in Europe as an umbrella, working on a European level and then inviting national advocacy and mountain bike organizations in as members, as a membership foundation. So the individual or the clubs or the chapters that become members mainly become members of the national advocacy organizations, and then they are members of uh, the umbrella organization in Europe. Is there a way for members to also become, so say I, say I live in Denmark? Mm. Could I become a, an individual member of Imba Europe, or do I have to go through the national governing body or the national advocacy? You'll have to have to go through a national advocacy. Or, yeah, well, a good thing is always to join your local club. You know, support your local community, and then that club can be a member of the national organization that brings knowledge home from Imba Europe and shares it uh, in the home country and so on. So, yeah, that's yeah. the structure. Well, and the reason why I ask that is, does every country then have a, a national advocacy group? Because I'm thinking like, so for, for example, where I live in La Crosse, they haven't, out in La Crosse, Wisconsin, I should clarify, one of the 50 states. Yeah. The local organization hasn't always been a member of IMBA US because it's set up a little bit differently, but I could become a member of IMBA US and say, there's a organization that I really like to ride at. We'll call it uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. And so like when I've signed up for AMBA, I've designated EMBC Knoxville as my local organization. Yeah, I, I, I understand the question. And I, I also really thought that AMBA US was cool when I first met it. And I even joined and have been a member since and got the membership socks and felt I was really super cool and all of this. But this is not the structure we, we, we decided on, on here. So no individual membership of, of Imba Europe. 
But then if we have a summit, we open and free for people to join uh, as non-members. We don't want to exclude and content on the webpage is is available and so on. But we want to help the national organizations uh, become stronger and better at advocacy to do the best advocacy they can do in their country within that legislative uh, construct, I guess, uh, what's in the individual countries here in, in, in Europe. Summits. Let's talk about summits. You have one coming yeah. up. Yeah, we do. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. It's in Valposchiavo in uh, Switzerland, close the, to the Italian border and uh, the south end of Graubünden, a very famous uh, mountain bike region in, in Switzerland. So uh, uh, I'm being told I'm looking forward to this. You can take the train from the town up to a pass called the Benina Pass. And then you can ride 26 kilometers down again, and then you can have a pizza and a beer. So it's going to be really cool. Going to talk about sustainable tourism and advocacy and all things mountain biking, I guess, uh, for 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 a few days. And uh, we get good representative from uh, in the U.S. coming over and having good talks about advocacy and yeah. What are the dates on that? Because this show will go live well well ahead of that, I believe. And so we can pique some interest for those that are... First, second, and third of June. Yeah, of 2023. Yeah, you're more than welcome. <laughs> I'm headed out to a summit later this week. Yeah, yeah. I saw. I, I looked into that because, yeah, I was uh, at, at the, the PTBA uh, summit last year in, in, in Bentonville. I really wanted to go this year, but, you know, work and travel and so... Yeah, it is what it is. I, I do know, and I live in the United States, and it's a stretch for me to go. The, uh, and we're going to get into, I do have a question or two about your, your experience at the PTBA conference in 2022, but let's go back over to Europe. So I'm not, to be honest, like I'm not super familiar with, aside from what you see in the international circles of mountain bike racing, mm. I'm not super familiar with what is going on on a, just a general level for trail access. But I've been told there's some regions in Europe that have gondolas that are run by the government and lift access that you can just like you can use your bus pass to ride and mountain bike from place to place. Yeah, that, that exists. Yeah, some places, other places is run by private companies. It, it differs. It differs from country to country, region to region, valley to valley, I guess. And uh, yeah, Europe is a big place and we have a lot of people here. I think we're almost twice as many people in Europe as we you are in, in America. I think we're about 600 million people in, in Europe. It's like the biggest uh, market, I guess, money-wise and, and people-wise. Uh, so we, we, it's a pretty dense uh, continent, I guess. And uh, we have a lot of different languages. So it's, it's uh, yeah. Just from where I sit, within a couple of hours, I can be in Germany, where they speak German. I can be in Sweden, where they speak Swedish. I can go to Norway in about six, seven hours. Uh, so they speak Norwegian there and, and so on. Five hours, uh, four hours, I could be in Scotland with a plane. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah, a lot of different languages and a lot of different cultures going on. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool over here. Well, with that, what are some of the challenges you guys face in terms of access and advocacy? You know, with there being so many different countries, so many different rules within each country, you know, and different, obviously there's mountain biking is 
you know, we've kind of alluded to the fact that it's been around for quite a while, but it's still the new kid on the block, right? Yes. I think in some sense, it's, it's very, very different. But in, other sense, in another sense, it's just the same. You know, you have uh, multi-user trails in highly populated areas. You're going to have some user conflicts. And some people are going to get startled, you know, if you get passed by a mountain bike because they think they rode too fast and too close. And the mountain biker, you know, he just bought those new SRAM code RSC brakes and he can stop just by nothing. And he felt he was pretty, he didn't even, you know, perceive that there was a conflict with, with the hiker because, you know, with his nice bike and his good, cool brakes, he could just stop anytime. So he was in total control and there was no danger. So the perceived danger and the real danger is a difference. But it doesn't take away people being scared. And, and when you get scared, you get a little bit angry. And then, boom, you have it going. So that's the same here. You have, I saw like a small video once about some ski resort in America when there was new snowboarders wanted to start up when that was new. And they were like, that's just a fad. That's going to go away. We don't like them. We don't want them here. They're not real skiers and so on. So that's the same, I guess. You know what you have. You don't know what you're going to get. And everything new is a bit, it's both a little bit of a threat, but it's also some sort if somebody managed to imagine something new, in some sense, it's also a criticism of the old stuff. The old stuff is not good enough for me. I want to do this new thing. So everybody who worked, you know, with skiing for 50 years, and then people want to do snowboarding. Come on, you worked with hiking. And a ski resort for 50 years, it's generations, and you know, your kids are going to inherit the hotel. And all of a sudden, these mountain bikers are all over, all over the place asking for bike friendly and washing spots and parking bikes in the basement or taking it into the hotel room. I mean, what is that? Filled with mud and all this new stuff. Can it just go away, please? But no, a mountain biking can't go away and it's, it's, it's here to stay. I think it's the same. Uh, the conflicts are the same, and the the solutions in the end will be the same. The trail is like a multi tool; it just solves so many problems. If you put in a good trail, make it uh, sustainable, like in the three sustainability pillars, you have social sustainability. What should the what kind of problems should the trail solve? What kind of problems do we have? Okay, we have user conflicts. Okay, that's a social problem. How can the trail solve this social problem? Okay, we have some problems with uh, endangered species, animals, plants, whatever. Okay, this, this is a problem. Riders, hikers, you know, walking in, in this uh, uh, protected area, how can we solve that? Well, the trail can be used as a tool to solve that. Uh, we have a problem with the economy because the skiing season is just getting shorter and shorter. And uh, below 2000, you can, there's no snow guarantee anymore in some of the resorts in the Alps. Okay, how can we solve the financial problem for the local community? Well, uh, there's a summer product ready if you put in the trails and the investment. So in that sense, I think uh, the problems are the same and and the solution is the same. But the attitude towards both the problems and the solutions of course, always differs. So in some countries in Europe, if you look closely at the law, you're not even allowed to ride your mountain bike on a forest road. Because if you do like a guided tour within the law, you will have to ask every single landowner. And those mountainsides have been inherited of small lots. For, so that's like 500 families for a two-day mountain bike ride. You, you can't do that. So 
in many places, the, the rules is not ready for this. It's not, it doesn't fit with the new situation, but rules change very slow. And development of bikes and capability of bikes and the number of mountain bikers that change very fast. So there's two tempos going on. And often in Europe, it gets pragmatic. Well, it's not, it's not really legal, but it doesn't do any harm. So we'll just let it slide. And then you have this gray area where things happen and you know, evolve and develop and so this happens a lot of places. Other places, you got the right to roam. Scotland, you can just go. Private land, you just go. There's some basic rules, you know, be nice and say hi and don't destroy things and all this, but you can go. And then you go just south to England, then you can't go. The rules are different. So in Denmark, there's very different rules between public forests and privately owned. Public forests, you can go 24-7, 365, privately owned forests, not after sunset. So, okay, publicly owned forest, you, you have the right to roam. You can walk wherever you want. If you bike, you have to stay on, on roads and trails. But on privately owned forest, you cannot walk outside roads and trails if you're hiking. And sometimes there's no sign when you pass from one owned forest to another one. And you can't really see because the road just continues and the trees look the same. But you pass that invisible border and you're in trouble. If you don't know. So it's often very complicated, the whole legislation about it, but the practical side of things, yeah, people work it, try to make it function on an everyday basis. And then, of course, with COVID, everything blew up <laughs> and everybody was outside all the time because there was nowhere else to go. And uh, that just created kind of like a panic. Many private landowners, public forest owners, so it's like, oh my God, we have to change everything. We have to make rules and, and bans and all kinds of stuff. And now, post COVID, you know, people are back at the fitness centers and you know, the shopping malls, and there's not that many people out there. It's still a bit more than before. It, it kind of, uh, the peak went away, but the growth is, is still going, I guess, in that direction. More and more people want to be active outside. So we'll have to keep working this. Yes, this is one thing I've learned after all these years of, of advocacy is that this is not something we solve. This is something you continuously have to work with. It's interesting because I've never been to Europe. And my perception, and I think the perception of at least some others that I talk to is that the advocacy side of things and the access side of things might not be as difficult in Europe as, say, the U.S. Because the bicycle as a, uh, I guess you could say a tool is a lot more commonly accepted and it's even a lot more it's held in a higher regard in terms of sporting too like in the u.s you have baseball football basketball is like the main sporting events and so when you see a cyclist it's a little bit different than if you see a cyclist in europe right yeah yes i there's I, there's probably some truth to that and uh, uh but at the same time it, it differs from country to country you no, know, with the Netherlands and, and Denmark being being bike countries, really, then other countries are are lacking behind or trying to to catch up and and looking into different kind of solutions that can solve it. We have the EU; they're going to come with a big declaration about turning. Yeah, they want to double the number of people riding bikes in in Europe, so they're going to put you know bicycles into the whole policy making of this federal uh, layer in, in all of Europe. And that's going to mean money. It's going to mean 
bike lanes and infrastructure and bikes on trains, bikes on buses, so you can get around. And also some, you know, some of the stuff that I can see is a big uh, discussion in the US, the e-bikes classifications and all this. In Europe, the EU is simply just, if it's, uh, if it's pedal assist and it cuts out at 25Ks, then it's a bike. End of discussion. There's, there's simply nothing to discuss. It's a bike. So that, that makes it a little bit, and of course, local regions and, and some countries will There'll be, I know in Sweden, they have some discussions because one legal entity, uh, Forestry Commission, like uh, wants to say that it's motorized and they have some wording in their rule book, but then the, the traffic ministry wants to have some other wording. So they think it's a bike, but maybe it is a bike, maybe it's not a bike. And then they discuss the, the legal stuff uh, about it in, in Sweden. And, but at the same time, you know, people go out and buy e-bikes and ride in, in the forest. So. Yeah, that's an. Int- I didn't know that you guys were working, or that that Europe was working bikes into the into everything that you have going on for transportation. That's a that's a huge thing, especially for mountain biking. Because I've said for a long time, like, how do you get a kid to ride a bike forever? Well, you get them on a bike young, and they want to be excited, right? And yeah, it's my kids don't get excited about hiking, but they'll enjoy <laughs> a bike. Yeah. I think, yeah, this is like five years ago, because we have the automotive industry, we have all kinds of different industries, and they're always working with politicians trying to make, you know, of course, influence the policies, but also to make sure that the solutions they develop and like in the automotive industry doesn't become problematic towards the policies being made by the politicians. You want to kind of align these things and have these talks and so on. And in Europe, we, we have some, some, some biking organizations working towards advocacy and, and enhancing biking and, and promote it and so on. But we didn't have an industry club. We simply didn't have that, that, that organ. And then was created the, this, uh, uh, the CIE, uh, Cycling Industries Europe, was created out of the ECF, European Cyclist Federation. And this work started uh, about five, six years ago. And now... There's an industry body ready to talk to the European Commission and to the EU about how do we work with this? How how is this not just about, hey, we want more bikes, we want more bike lanes? No, we want to build jobs. We want to create an industry that's part of the Green Deal, the Green Europe, and so on. So that voice, the CIE, is very important. And we're super fortunate in Amber Europe to be in close contact with the CIE. And also uh, from last year, 22, we started getting donations from the industry through the Cycling Industries Europe. So this means we can expand the number of people we have working for us and so on. So, so that collaboration is just super important on an EU level, on a national level, but also for advocacy for mountain biking, that they recognize that Inba Europe is doing the advocacy that needs to Get you know needs to be done, and that uh, they they support us. So that's really cool. Well, and better access for bikes in town means more trails close to home because you can safely pedal to those trails. Yeah, this is one of the things that I really I really love the more trails close to home uh, that Imba US came up with, and it just struck a chord with me. We've been working with that in Denmark. We're very close to having it. On a national level in Denmark, through volunteers and 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 local communities coming together, but 
as I see some resorts think, well, if you put money into a local trail, then it won't benefit the destination. Well, I think we're growing the pie. If have, people have access to riding the bikes when they get home from school as a kid, get home from work as a parent, then they will want to go biking when they go on holiday. If they don't bike every day, if they, they don't have that access, then they don't have the inclination to go to a destination to ride bikes. So I think it's, it, it's all connected and we need a lot more kids on bikes and they need to be able to come home from school, throw the school bag and just run outside, grab that bike and go riding on a local trail and, you know, hone those skills and have fun, get a bruised knee and uh, forget about the phone for a minute and just have fun riding bikes more, I guess, uh, whole humans in the future. Yeah. It's like we need to, you know, years and years and years ago, we'd be as humans, we would be farming and doing other manual labor, you know, and that just doesn't exist anymore. And so we have to supplement that with something like riding a bike or being, you know, other ways of being outside. Right. Yeah. I, it's, it exists still. (laughs) There are actual people working other than us, you know, sitting at the office. So, yeah, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, but it's, it's becoming more, it's the same with, with access to nature on a whole. It's like the statistics, like 50% of Danish kids haven't tried sleeping outside. Just that one night under the stars, that experience simply doesn't exist for half the kids in Denmark. So that's kind of like, okay, that's scary. Are they going to feel the need to go bikepacking when they become adults? Uh, follow that adventure. You know, you, you talk to people, hey, you should try sleeping outside in a shelter. There's a lot of good facilities and trails. There's, you know, you can, you can build a fire. No, but I don't know how to light a fire. So I'm not going to go. So that, that nature connectedness is important. And uh, outdoor activities is part of helping people finding ways to get into nature and connect with it and feel it. There's different ways. You know, some people really want to fall on their knees and study a beetle through a microscope. Other people want to, you know, run fast, trail running, mountain biking, and others uh, just want to feel that connectedness and meditate and, and so on. But I think we need to stress that none of these different approaches on, on how to get the nat- nature connectedness is wrong. They're just different. Correct. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we're all, you know, we all have different wants and desires as humans and to provide it's, it's the same thing I say with transportation. Like you, we're so car centric here in the United States. It's like, that's great, but not everybody wants to go by car. So we should be as obligated to provide those other options, whether it's biking or walking or whatever your means of transportation is. It's no different than just get for wanting to get, to get outside. Yeah. I remember the first time I was in the States, late 90s, and I met a, an, an American friend over there, and uh, we, we drove to Los Angeles, and he was going for a conference, so I would just stay at the hotel, and then we would go into the desert and have, you know, have a, a campfire and stuff like that. But when I was at the hotel, I was like, oh, we'll just go for a walk. And then I walked out the hotel, and I was like, where's the sidewalk? I was just like so naive. I, I simply didn't understand until I stood there. It was like, there's no sidewalk. You can only come around. You can only move around by car. That's it. That was just, I was, yeah, to use an English term, flabbergasted. That was just <laughs> totally in shock. My God. Well, and it's, it's so short sighted. It's really like this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then I read stuff. That I think it was some car company bought the tram company in Los Angeles and just closed it so they could sell more cars and stuff like that. So yeah, car-centric. I think it also taps into a little bit about the difference between the States and Europe, because in, in, in Europe, the whole town structure and villages and so on, most of a lot of them are so old that the streets are narrow and it was you know, built for a wheelbarrow or a horse carriage and so on. And that means that biking and walking is simply just, you know, it's, it's been like that. You, know, go to, you go to Rome and there are streets that's been there for more than 2,000 years. So it's just how it is. And, and that means that cars, some places, it's simply not practical to have them there. So you, you kind of have to have walking and biking as, as a supplement because it's, it's so impractical. In, in the midi, mid, medieval uh, town centers, it's, 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 it works really bad. And there's always, you know, traffic jams if you have just more than, than one car, I guess. <laughs> so that that's just gives us uh, a different uh, approach there. And I mean, if you go to, to the, the Midwest and I guess west from there in the States, well, every, I go there, I see everything is wide. The streets are wide. It's so much air, but there's still no sidewalks or, or bike paths. You have the room. There's a lot of space out there. That can hold a lot of bike lanes. <laughs> yes, there is. Speaking of that, when you were in uh, Bentonville in 2022 and late late March and early April of 2022 for the 2022 Professional Trail Builders Association Sustainable Trails Conference, did you get over to Eureka Springs at all to see the Great no. Passion Play or the uh, Lake Leatherwood downhill trails? No, I did not. And I'm really sorry about that. But you know, it's a conference. I, we had to do some presentations as well. And uh, it's, it's compact. I did go to Devil's Den. I just rode under that trail. It goes underneath the waterfall, behind the waterfall. Some beautiful trail building there. Some, I think it's rock solid. Uh, maybe did that. That was just, yeah, that was an intense experience. It was really beautiful. And we rode, of course, a lot of the trails uh, in Bentonville as well. Yeah, really enjoyed it. It's interesting to see. Bentonville is, is, a, is, a, is a magical place. It's like somewhere you can go. It's like, okay, what if we're in a world where there's no, like, money is not the object? Then what could you do with trails? And that's just fascinating to see. If you put in the investment, you put in the work and the hours and the trails, then it changes things. So it's a tool of change. To, uh, yeah. People bike and you know, there's more people moving there now. House prices are going up, and and all this stuff. So it's 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 uh, it's it's fascinating. It's hard. Some of it is hard to imagine how you can take it back home, <laughs> because as soon as you get home, money is always an object. But there's so much inspiration, just the trails alone, and and also the attitude. And I really like how they they count and measure and and come up with well, this saved the health system, this and this much amount of money, this many miles of trail gave us this saving in, 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 in health benefits and so on. So that's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty cool. I really enjoyed it. I'm uh, very happy about Gary noticing our work, uh, what we did in, in Europe with the, the, the dirt project and invited us over to, to share 
and also to learn from each other across the Atlantic. That was really so. Thank you very much, Gary Byrne. That was that was awesome. What is the Dirt Project? Since you brought it up, let's talk about what that is. I know what it is, but I think the listeners should yeah. should learn more about it. It's it's like you can apply for EU grant money if you have projects that can make Europe a better place, I guess. And there's different parts that goes to different kinds of societal challenges. And one of them is about uh, uh, education. It's called Erasmus Plus, that program. And you can apply for grants for projects where you work together with other European countries and entities, organizations. So it's both project where you describe a project you want to achieve something specific, but at the same time, you're also working with bridging languages, bridging cultures, and meeting other countries and shared projects. So it's also all these pots of money or grants that you can apply for is also meant to, yes, make Europe a better place in those projects, but at the same time to tie the European organizations closer together and that we learn about each other and, uh, yeah, become a stronger Europe, I guess, um, by shared project. The, the third project is uh, uh, about building uh, the framework for uh, trail build, builder education, an official one. So you can get, get points that you can put into your diplomas and, and your degree. Uh, so we saw that there was trail building companies popping up in the Alps and Norway and, and different places. And there's a lot of volunteer groups working with trail building, but there was no formal education. It was not structured. And this means any municipality or region or whoever wants to hire trail builders, they can't see their diploma and they can't really evaluate which company is just an asphalt company just putting in a low bid or who is actually a passionate trail builder wants to bid on this project and make a good trail system that helps you know boost mountain biking and cycling and and so on so this is kind of the aim of it uh, to build that framework so any school in Europe that wants to start up a trail builder education then the toolbox the curriculum the stuff will be ready and and uh, good to go that's a perfect segue into the next topic i was going to bring up which is what is the trail building scene like both in Denmark, but as in as Europe as a whole, like is there a lot of trail building companies? Are there just a few? Is it obviously there's volunteer building going on? Mm. In in Denmark, there's a lot of volunteer building going on, uh, but we have uh, companies uh, popping up now. So this Denmark is a small country, like five point eight million people in Denmark, and uh, uh, so. Yeah, it's we're not that many people. It's a small country, and so we don't have like uh, uh, fifty trail building companies bidding for jobs and so. But I think we have like five, five ten companies now, or you know, some have a job, but then they also bid on the side, and and so on. Uh, so it's it's a small scene in Denmark, but uh, Norway, where the the ski destinations are starting to invest into trails as a summer product, that's a whole different game. And Sweden is going, you know, starting slowly, but going to take off as well. The Alps trail building companies has been going for years. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's becoming more and more. And at the same time, it's, it's when it's unregulated, then you don't really know what you're buying, uh, I guess. And the, the, the oldest and, 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 and some of the biggest companies, of course, 
have references and have few, you know, prior projects that they can, uh, you know, show off and so on. But we we did some surveys and asked around, what is the need? Well, trail companies were like, well, it'd be nice to be certified in some way, uh, but it would be even more nice for them that if they put up a job effort that they could ask for people who are actually trained in trail building instead of just having to train them themselves all the time. So we saw that there was a gap between the knowledge level and the training level and the need from the companies, but also for the municipalities who, who put out a tender, you know, who, who bids on this? How do we know? So, so there was a lot of different things that could become better, but it's, it's new. It's, uh, the project is just finishing after the first uh, three years and we're starting on DIRT 2.0. We're going to work to expand with certification, uh, and and so, uh, yeah. Sounds like there needs to be more collaboration with the uh, PTBA because it's here in the United States. Not all the municipalities, but a lot of them are starting to get it now. That one of the questions they ask when they put a bid out is, "Are you a PTBA member company?" And that's a way of yeah providing that certification. Exactly. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's one way. And also I know that in Bentonville, they're, they're putting up a, a trail builder education and uh, there's some money going into that. We have talks now with how can we share the stuff that we have built the last three years and going to build the next three years. And uh, at the same time, sort of try to share knowledge and align ideas and, and, and so on with, with the Bentonville uh, project as well. So there's going to be some good conversations across the pond over the next uh, few years. When you brought up Norway, ah. in Norway, you've had a company known as World Trails run by yes. the uh, infamous Glenn Jacobs. And that's, I mean, he's probably one of the original, at least specific to bikes, trail builders there is. Yes. <laughs> I don't think they get more original than Glenn Jacobs. No, I, I met Glenn at a, a, a trail building conference in Cermatt, Switzerland, uh, some years ago, I think 18 or 19. And uh, he's a cool guy. We're out riding in the mountains, in the Alps, and uh, with the Matterhorn uh, uh, mountaintop in the background. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, some cool days. We kept talking. So I actually visited him in the fall at, at this uh, Hugevade. A place in in Norway, and he guided me and, and a very good friend around for a day uh, to see what they're building and stuff like that. And it's a it's a cool story. It's uh, like four farmers own uh, like the mountainside, and then they uh, you know agree to okay, we're gonna open this mountain up, and we're gonna put cabins in, and we sell like uh, you know open up some lots, and people buy the lots, and they put a cabin in, and then in some. In a decade or two, then the mountainside will be sold. And then uh, the, some, some, they start thinking, well, how can we keep some sort of, of instead of just putting cabins on, on the hillside, can we put in a ski resort? What if we invest in that? And, uh, and that could generate some money so we still have some ownership and, and things are going okay for us in the future. And then they had an analysis done. Okay, you put in like 100 million Norwegian kronas, and then what? Then you're just an average skiing destination in the valley where all the other skiing destinations are. None of the other skiing destinations have like a, a, a half and half, uh, a half summer offer and half winter offer. 
So I think there's, I'm, I'm not sure I have the numbers right uh, and so on. It's not my project, but there's a, a spatial planning uh, company from Switzerland, Bike Plan, uh, started up by Adrian Greiner. And uh, they went and did the spatial planning. So the, the, the overall, the analysis, okay, what, how far are you from the airport? How many people could come here? How many cabins and, and, and tourists are, are in the area? What's the potential of this place? And how's the landscape look? And then uh, a bike plan, they don't do the actual trail building. But they refer to Glenn Jacobs said, if you, you, want, you want to invest a lot of money here, you want to have like a huge trail system, look at Blue Derby, what they built in Tasmania and how that changed that local community and that area in, in Tasmania and so on. So and, and it ended up really good. And, and uh, Glenn Jacobs' uh, company, World Trail, got the, the project. And, and they're like a, a year or two into it now. And we went up there. And the landscape is amazing, and the trails are just fantastic. This is like world class. And people want to kind of fly into Oslo and just from the airport, it's like an hour and a half by car, and you're there, and you just have amazing trails, amazing landscape. You get above the, t- the tree line because it's Scandinavia. The tree line is lower than it is in the Alps because that's more to the south. So you have sort of that high alpine feel already at like eight, 900 meters above sea level. So you can breathe uh, too. Yes, exactly. You can breathe and you can go above the tree line and you can find amazing trails. No, that's a really cool project. So yeah, if I win the, win the, if I win the lottery, I'm going to buy a cabin there. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope to see more projects like that online. You know, for a lot of years, at least here in the States, you'd see housing developments put up around golf courses and other type of types of recreation, but now it's becoming apparent that really trails and outdoor recreation more broadly is a, is a better amenity. One that is, it's more diverse in terms of all the users and it's better for the environment because you're not trying to cover the place in chemicals to keep your amenity going. There's also something about the quality of a trail that is repetitive. Uh, There's a a local, uh, uh, Big estate owner uh, close to where I live, and they did like a go high uh, court. You you climb up, you have climbing gear on, and an instructor. And you can zip line to another tree and stuff like that. And I tried it, and it's super fun. And I only did it once because now I tried it. But the local trail, I did like I did that trail a thousand times. No, I helped build it in 2012. I'm very proud of it, and it's my local trail. I just ride it. I know if I, yeah, I have an hour and a half, I go. So the repetitive nature of the trail, you can just keep using it. You, you go back to it and you always get the sunset looks different or it rained yesterday or the seasons change. It's always something is slightly new. And then again, it's just very familiar because it's your local trail. You can always go out and just get that exercise in a peace of mind, stop on your bike, look out, see the sunset, and just, oh. I needed this, and then you know, ride home, take a shower, and that uh, gave you know, make, made made the day a better place. But it, the repetitive uh, aspect of of the trail is 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 important. I've used that same analogy for mountain coasters. How many lifelong mm. mountain coaster riders do we have? I mean, everybody goes out and tries it once at their yes. local resort, and they probably don't do it again. No, it's fun. It's fun, but you need new people every time on the local hiking trail runner equestrian, mountain bike, it's the same people, you know, 
they just go, go, go. So it's, it's, it's good for the local community. It's good for the health, the mental health, the physical health. And people get active. They get outside. It's, it's just super important. Let's talk about the impact that MBA Europe is making today in where, what I mean by this is you have a, you have a current, you have a campaign going on that's called take care of your trails. Mm. Let's go into what the importance of that and what that actually does. Well, it was invented in Scotland by developing mountain biking in Scotland. And uh, they came up with this to have like a, a friendly battle between different trail groups to who could you know get the most volunteers uh, over this weekend or this trail building day. And also as a celebration of the volunteer work going into this, the trail champions and uh, to celebrate those. And then We've been working closely together with developing mountain biking in Scotland for many years. They come to the summits and, and they are a, a force to be reckoned with in European mountain biking. They are, I think, one of the only countries, maybe the only country in the world that has a national mountain bike strategy. That's, that's big. So uh, in some sense, it's our big brother and we, we, we rely on their knowledge and their work. Uh, and in other senses, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a valued uh, a brother or a cousin that we worked together with, and they were part of the Dirt 1.0. Unfortunately, because of Brexit, they can't be part of 2.0. But if they can find some local funding, we can include them in the group. Uh, again, we're working on it, but it's it's complicated with Brexit. But uh, to get back to uh, uh, the the Imba Europe and uh, the the campaign of take care of your trails, so we wanted we we talked to to the Scots and and we wanted to expand into to all of Europe to celebrate volunteer and, and professional trail builders all over Europe. And it just grew. And we have, you know, hundreds of uh, trail building groups who are signing up for the campaign, sending in pictures and uh, registering volunteers and so on. So it's it's been it's been growing. Got hit, of course, by by COVID, as everything did. You know, people couldn't gather in big, big numbers. So but still you'd have people out, you know, hope you know, you know, keeping distance and wearing masks and still doing a little bit of trail building and, and, and signing up and so on. It's a great celebration of, of the, the trail champions we have across Europe. And it's running, it started off like a day and then it was a, a week. And now it's May because in some places in, in our community, well, you go to Spain, it's fine. You go to Norway, I think in Hemsedal, they still have two meters of snow. Now, so it's different. And if, if we want to have the Norwegians to participate, then we have to extend it until June. So it, it ends on, on the 31st of May, and then we can, you know, do some, some uh, announcements and stuff at the summit. Then we do the Ember Europe Summit. So we announce winner, winners and so on. So that's uh, it's a it's really, really good uh, campaign. You get a lot of pins in the map with all these volunteer groups all over Europe doing great things. Do you guys actually have a map on the website for that then and where everybody is so you can graphically see who's doing what and where? Yes, we have had that for the last few years and that's going to be, uh, it's, it's on the takecarefortrails.com uh, webpage. Sounds like that's something MBUS should be doing. Yeah, we'll talk to them. They're coming to the summit. We'll give them some good, some, some good Swiss, Swiss beer and have a talk with them. <laughs> give them a little peer pressure to, to push that campaign. No, I think in, in some sense that's interesting because I've, I've you don't know if things work. You know, uh, take a kit mountain biking day that Imba US came up with. Super, uh, fantastic concept. And we tried it for years over here and it doesn't really catch on. 
I guess because kids go biking every day. Yeah, that should be every day. It makes less sense here. So stuff, some stuff is generic, it's the same, and some stuff is just super different. You know, take a kid mountain bike day. Well, there's like 90 kids in my local town. They go mountain biking four times a week. So which day are you talking about? One day in October? That's an interesting thing. I think it's it's good. Never, never say anything bad about taking kids mountain biking. That's always good. But it just works different in different parts of the world. No, and I think I've always had, I've never been able to do take a kid mountain biking with my own kids because we've always had something else going on. But you're right. So you go on a different day that same week, right? Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting parallel that you drew there. With that, let's talk about trail communities. You've already brought up some trail communities, especially when you said you, if you had the money, you'd go buy a cabin in Norway. But what are the things you look for in trail communities in terms of amenities or the things if you're going to go on a holiday? Like what, what type of things are important to you for a trail community? Ah, okay. If I'm going to go somewhere and see some places, well, first of all, if I, when I travel, I want to try the local stuff. Yeah. So I go to Italy, I want to eat the pizza and I want to see the nature and I want to see the old ancient ruins from the Roman Empire. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to eat Danish. I don't want to, you know. So when I go mountain biking, I would like to experience some local mountain bike culture and some places have it and some places don't. Some places it's just uh, like a big factory, just people on, on the lift going up, going down, selling them stuff and, and, and so on. But I feel the connectedness is there. You go someplace where there's a local community that meet at the local bike shop or there's a hangout or some, something, there's a local club and they do some volunteer work and they're into it and they they then you can feel that the culture and, and the temperature or the the whole scene is 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 different. If you have the local community being there backing it up, then it's it's a different vibe. And this is what I would like to to experience when I when I go. So and I think they're really in in Norway, not just the project with World Trail, but that whole it's a huge valley shaped like a T. And in, in a more central part of Norway, putting a lot of investment into trails, but it differs. Like in one spot, it's the ski destination doing some investment isn't blue flow trails for the family that normally comes in winter. Now they want them, the family to come in the summer. And there's a small pump track and all these, uh, you know, entry level uh, uh, stuff. And it, it works really good. And then you drive for half an hour and then there's a local community that just Pickaxing, uh, pickaxing, uh, just trails out the, the mountainside with local volunteers, and it's really sketchy. And 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 uh, and there's a local guide, and they made, you know, put up you sell ice cream and some bike helmets and stuff like that, and, and you know, have plate shirts, and and <laughs> and you can just go with them for half a day and just have your mind blown with some local sketchy uh, trails, and then you drive for another half hour, and it's completely different. High Alpine, just rolling contour trail, uh, just going. So that valley is going to present every kind of mountain biking you want to do. And that's, that has a value as well. That's going to be like a big travel destination in the future. Perhaps you should talk to Lars. He's part of the third project as well. He's uh, the project manager with that. But he's been working with 
this developing of the Hallingdal region in Norway for, for a long time. We can say a lot about mountain biking in Norway. Well, Tony Boone has been getting me connected with uh, Glenn Jacobs. Ah, and we're still cool. we're still going back and forth on scheduling and everything. I mean, it's that's that's the interesting part about this is that we're all busy because we get we just I think just by our nature we get into so many different things, right? Because we want to yes. keep going, 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 and pushing what we can get done and whatnot, and so that mm. leaves scheduling to be somewhat difficult, right? <laughs> Yeah, Tony Boone is a cool guy. I met him in Bentonville last year. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's yeah. a character. I'm sure I'll see him again here next week in, yeah. in Reno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give him my regards. It's really nice to meet him in, in in Bentonville. Good talks always. Yeah, yeah. What did you you know? So you kind you kind of spoke about Bentonville. Was there anything you took away from Bentonville specifically that you wanted you know that you thought could be implemented over in Europe? One thing is the, the, the connected trails from the town center, that whole concept about, you know, okay, mountain biking, it's the new thing. They want trails. Okay, you can have this desolate area and the other end of the forest. And, and you kind of accept that because you're on a burning platform. That you, you have two choices. You can take that remote spot and, and build a trail, or you can get banned, sort of. You, you take what you can get. But in the end, if you want the kids to come home from school, get on their bikes and ride to the trail, then you can't put it in the remote spot. It has to start at the city center where people live. And, and that connected trail was just super important. That whole story about how, well, people would go to Bentonville, they would ride the trails, but they would not park at the city center and then would not then, when they got back into the car, drive into the city center and eat at the restaurant. If you park next to the restaurant, you go riding, you come back to your car and maybe I should get a pizza or whatever you want to eat. And that changes things. So the whole, if we can get it accepted, sort of like anything else, you have a football stadium, you have a trail system, you have a baseball field, you have whatever you want, a swimming hall or then... Yeah, I think that's important. In that, in some sense, I think mountain biking is still acting and feeling that burning platform of the 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 ban. It's it's just around the corner. We need to to be polite and say hello and smile. And you have to be polite and say yeah and and say hello and smile. And you always need to to behave and respect and, and recognize other people. But in, at some point in time, there's going to be enough mountain bikers that others will have to acknowledge and respect the needs of the mountain biker as well. And I think in that sense, the trails close to home and those connected trails into the city centers are going to be super important. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we can't grow mountain biking if it's, if it's not close to home, because how many people go on holiday to learn to mountain bike? Yeah. It happens, Denmark, but it's rare. Yeah. In Denmark, you can't get a driver's license until you're 18. So if you have to drive a car to the trailhead, then you can't go ride the trails until you're 18, unless your parents you know, get off work early and yeah, in the winter, it's dark at you know, like three, three thirty. Well, you, you go to work in the morning, it's dark, you come home, it's dark. I mean, you don't go mountain biking with the kids, you know, well, we, I used to have lamps on and go, you know, go night riding. I, that, that proved actually in Denmark to become a problem because the word night riding just gave uh, uh, protectionist uh, and environmentalists is like, oh my God, they're riding all night. Like no, no, we just ride at six o'clock in the evening. It's 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
It's just like night in July, writing. but in it's November. Insane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's evening writing. Come on. <laughs> I mean, night writing is fun too. It offers a whole different dimension to it what is. the trails yeah, look yeah. like and what you can see, especially the wildlife. It's a big nature experience. Yeah. Now I had four kids out like in December, just at five, six o'clock and it was just pitch black. It was a new moon. And it was cloudy and you, you could not see anything. But everybody had their strong headlights on the helmets and we're just riding the trail. And I stop and I say, okay, everybody turn the lamps off. And we turned the lamps off and it, you just go night blind as well. It's just like you're inside a closed box. It was just so dark. And then a fox screamed. They mate <laughs> at that point in time. And that sounds like you're just gutting somebody uh, with a knife. Just. <laughs> And I think it was like one or two seconds. And then the first light just came on. Those kids like nine, 10 years old. What was that? <laughs> they will never forget that nature experience. And then we get to talk about the fox and the fox mating in the winter and the cubs coming in the spring and all this. And okay, okay, can we go? <laughs> that was a cool night out with four kids in the dark. You do it there, yeah. It was a uh, that was a good experience. The world is different, yeah. World is different when it's dark. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. It's I know we where I live. It's like where I specifically live. It's kind of in the woods. I have an old A-frame on the hillside, and my daughters are always like when, especially when you can have the windows open in the spring and the fall. They're like, "What was that?" You know. Yeah. And so it's 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 good to get kids. I mean, that's how we get people to continue to appreciate our environment. Yeah, exactly. If you want to protect something, you need to know it first and you need to be sort of comfortable with it. And to be comfortable with nature, you have to get into it. You have to get dirty, you know, fall in a stream, uh, snap a branch and fall down a tree when you're tree climbing and yeah, get dirty and muddy mountain biking. And yeah, listen to a fox screaming <laughs> in the dark and get that connectedness. That's important. And then when they come and want to, you know, cut down the forest, then you're going to have, you know, kids, you know, caring about, well, I don't think this is a good idea. This is actually important for me that nature's there. Trees are there. The animals are there. This is important. We should protect it. Keep it safe. For sure. Well, with that, do you have any closing comments or that, that's some words of wisdom right there, but do you have any words of wisdom or closing comments or even anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to bring up before we close this one out? No, I think, I think one thing, I had an experience last year. I was part of a panel debate at the European Cyclist Federation's uh, Summit. And that's all about commuter bikes. So I said, kind of like the only mountain biker there, but uh, they were super kind to let me on this panel debate with other VIPs and, and so on. So, so I was there and I was just thinking, okay, how, how, do, we, how do you approach this? Because mountain biking... For commuters and, and city planners and so on, that's, that's pretty distant. So my, my approach there is like, I'm just like you. I just, I just want people on bikes and I want better infrastructure for bikes. And I want to use those, uh, that better infrastructure and more people on bikes to solve societal challenges. That's it. We're the same. We just move through different landscapes. But uh, if I can get more kids on bikes out in the woods, we'll be biking to school as well. So let's talk. <laughs> so I think that's the one thing is that the advocacy, we could work more with bridging 
instead of dividing into subgroups. There's a lot of shared interest in getting more people on bikes, whether it's recreational or commuting. It's going to feed off each other and it's going to grow better, I guess. So that, yeah, that was a nerdy advocacy finish, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's super important. Do you have any, any companies or people you want to thank as far as like support for Imba Europe or maybe directly within your office? Well, in the office, we, we of course have a, a general manager, Mark Torsius, uh, who's been part of Imba Europe since it started. And he has been our one employee for many years. And uh, with the support from CIE, Cycling Industries Europe, we've been able to hire an advocacy officer. That's Hans Stoops, who lives in Sweden. And we also managed, uh, by the help of uh, the continuous support from SRAM Foundation, that has helped us with, with uh, money uh, since the very beginning of, of Imbe Europe, uh, also uh, to uh, get uh, Lauren Rowney on board, works with projects and communication. So that's like the staff we have right now, went from one to three within the last year and a half. And in that sentence, I can say that SRAM and Specialized uh, are very good friends of, of Imba Europe, Specialized helping out with the take care of your trails, SRAM always helpful, and uh, they were both part of the founding of, of Imba Europe. And I guess it, it taps into the whole difference between the states and Europe because SRAM and Specialized grew up together with Imba in the US. The burning platform was there. Okay, we, we built mountain bike stuff and uh, we might get banned. Okay, let's work together with IMBA. But in Europe, with the cycling tradition of road cycling going back 100 years, there was never no need for advocacy. You just ride on the road. So the European companies, I guess, have a different setup, I guess, uh, or attitude. Well, we don't really need to advocate because you can just go riding on the roads. Everybody can just go. But mountain biking is changing that, and the access to nature is more complicated than riding a road bike. It simply is. And uh, But I think the work that Cycling Industries Europe is doing is really tapping into this, and it's helping a lot, and it's helping us a lot. And that cooperation between CAE and Ember Europe is, is uh, I think, one of the most important things we've done in, in, in recent time. Yeah, and I mean, huge shout out to SRAM, because they're, it seems like the more people I talk to, the more they're supporting the organizations for the people I'm talking to. It's, it's actually pretty incredible. SRAM, SRAM, SRAM Foundation has been fantastic, I must say. And I've been working closely together with Brandy Neufeld from SRAM Foundation for years now. And I, I simply can't emphasize how important that cooperation and that support has been. So huge shout out to those uh, guys. I also think they're one of the most innovative companies in the space. I mean, you've, yeah, I'm sure you've seen it. The transmission they just came out with, that's pretty incredible. Um, that's just amazing. Yeah. So I know I just need Santa Cruz to get uh, the, the derailleur hanger for the Tallboy 4 to fit the, the new <laughs> group set. <laughs> they need the UDH. I have that. You know, I don't have the transmission on my bikes, but I do have... The universal derailleur hanger on both my mountain bikes, so I can switch. Yeah, I think they put. I think they put it on the updated version of the Tallboy, but the one I bought, I bought the, the four when it just came out in in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty nineteen that that Christmas, and uh, it, it has that uh, flip chip kind of uh, rear derailleur that's a bit different than than the new one. But uh, I'll live. 
I got the nice, yeah, I got the nice XO group set on and shifts perfect. I'll be fine. <laughs> how how innovative was that for them to come out with the universal jewelry hanger to then come out with their, that was pretty That's clever. Good. No, it, it, it looks solid. I must say. It's the only stuff I see that's actually starting to change the conversation of like really updating the derailleur as a, as a piece of the, the bike. Yeah. But the, the, the single chain ring on the front yes. changed everything. Oh, for sure. Geometry of the bikes and everything. So, so it, it, they are very, very innovative um, and, and uh, pushing the industry in that sense. Yeah. I remember when Eagle first came out, that thing is like the size of a, 160 a millimeter disc brake disc. Break disc. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And now it's just common. Yeah, and it works, it works super good. Yeah. Well, Thomas, I really appreciate your time today and, and the fact that we could get this one recorded. We're in a significantly different time zone, so that's awesome that we could pull this one off. So the last thing, I guess, would be to thank you for your great podcast and thank you for, uh, you know, reaching out and uh, saying yes uh, to having me on board. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Well, of course. And we have, this is a worldwide thing and I have, you know, I've had developing mountain biking in Scotland and I, I have had, you know, one, one Tasmanian show, but I haven't had enough international shows. So that's something that we're definitely going to continue to do more of in the future. Cool. Well, reach out anytime. I'm pretty connected in Europe. <laughs> I think you're the president. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Yeah. Well, Thomas, enjoy your day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right. www.dojustsendit.com will get you to Cooley Creative. For additional ways to support the Trail Effect podcast, check out the affiliates link on the Trail Effect website by using the affiliate links found at www.traileffectpodcast.com. A small commission will come back to the podcast which help keeps this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.